0: the Dan Grosser Show. I got a question for you if you're a Met fan. How convincing was that win streak? They were all one-run wins. They were all really come from behind wins and not thoroughly dominant in any way, shape, or form. The, the the problem with that, okay, a win is a win is a win. It doesn't go bad. A win in May counts just as much in, you know, September, October as a win late in the season does. They all count as exactly the same, but, you know, playing baseball like that, that recipe, that formula for victory, is it sustainable? Because you can't expect to fall behind against Every team in the league, and then suddenly find your way out of it. Cause didn't happen last night. But when have the Mets ever played well at Wrigley Field? Seriously. This is the Dan grosser Show on ninety-eight point seven ESPN. Funny enough, speaking of just that with the Wrigley Field thing, they actually popped the statistic up on the screen. Since two thousand and three, so you got to go back twenty years. Mets record at Wrigley Field is eighteen and forty-two. That stinks. It's no bueno, as they say. But they won the two games there that was important in uh, 2015 in the NLCS in route to the World Series. Grasa Show, hour number two on this Wednesday, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number at Dan Grasa. G-R-A-C-A is where you can tweet at me. Um, as far as the footballs concern, concerned, you know, because I was under the weather, obviously not feeling well, didn't do the show, so I couldn't make it out to Florham Park yesterday which is where the most recent get-together involving one Aaron Rodgers and his teammates and everybody out there with the OTAs that were available uh, for the media's viewing was taking place. I'd planned to be out there, but obviously I couldn't because I wasn't feeling well. But, um, you know, Robert Sala and some of the players out there just spoke glowingly uh, about Aaron Rodgers and, you know, his presence behind the scenes and, and the impact that he's making in meetings. And he's almost another coach out there and, you know, never been around somebody quite like him and all the platitudes that you would expect a guy who's going to waltz into the Hall of Fame that you would expect a four-time MVP, a Super Bowl MVP to receive, you know, the whole nine yards as you would expect. But, you know, in talking about the team in general and what the hopes realistically should be for this team, you know, Robert Sala, you know, really said something interesting as a matter of fact, and really not something we've heard him really talk about and, and, and really in a manner in which we haven't really heard him speak about and now the two-plus years that he's been at the helm as the head coach. Take a listen to this. In my opinion, I think 32 coaches stand in front of their teams every year talk about winning a championship. And then realistically, there's maybe six or eight teams that have an actual chance to do it. And I do think we are one of those teams. But none of it matters unless we take care of it today. So, so, so let that sink in for a second. You know, as a Jet fan... When was the last time that you ever heard your head coach realistically stand up there to an assembled gathering of media and talk about that team, the Jets, being part of a select group of clubs in the NFL that could win a championship? Six to eight teams. That's a quarter of the league. So think about that. The Jets are now in that top quarter of clubs in the NFL, at least according to the Minded the head coach. And look, who am I to disagree with them? Right? They're going to be better. And if everything falls into place, you know, that, that's why they put this team together. That's why they went out there and, and they moved heaven and earth to go get themselves an Aaron Rodgers. Because he can make all the difference in the world. At a, the most important position. And at a position where the Jets have not had an answer for in what seems like forever. Now, that's great. Now, the problem with that, though. And, and in a small dose, we were kind of reminded of that yesterday too. When you see Aaron Rodgers go down with the calf injury, which is, look, it's not serious, okay, it's not. But he strained the calf while he was, you know, warming up yesterday for the practice, and so he had to sit it out. The Jets season now comes with a certain degree of fragility because it all rides on Aaron Rodgers. And I don't mean to throw cold water on any other player or any guy not named Aaron Rodgers, but let's be realistic. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, and if Aaron Rodgers, who is closer to 40 than he is 35, okay, put it that way, if he misses any sort of time, Jets are screwed. They're screwed. Because if they really had confidence, and if you as a fan had confidence, in the guy who's slated to be the backup quarterback, then guess what? Aaron Rodgers wouldn't be here right now. They would just run it back with number two. But they weren't going to do that because you and I and everybody there watched enough of number two over the last two years. And they did not want to watch anymore, at least not near number three. And that's why Rodgers is here. So that's my point, okay? If Rodgers cannot remain upright, and it's football, you never know what's going to happen. But if he misses time, you know, and unlike in past years when he was in Green Bay when you had, you know, the Matt Flins and the Seneca Wallaces and – All those guys that had to take some snaps and play some games in Rodgers' absence. Generally, it doesn't lead to positive results. And I don't think the Jets want to entertain that possibility either. You know, they could post all the videos of, of, you know, Zach Wilson in seven-on-seven drills where you have no defense trying to rip his head off. And he's threading the needle and throwing these great sideline passes to Garrett Wilson and all this other. That's great. That's wonderful. I would hope that a guy who was the second pick overall in the draft would be able to throw a nice ball on a practice field with no defenders. As Francisco Alvarez hits a two-run home run to give the Mets a 2-0 lead. He'll probably be out of the lineup tomorrow now. Um, so there you go. You know, that's the Jets. That's the situation we find ourselves in. It's great Rogers is here. It's great that the Jets have this confidence and these expectations because they should. 100% they should. But it could all come crashing down if something happens to this guy. And I know that it's maybe not a situation you want to think about and a possibility you want to delve into, but it's just the reality of the situation. That's how fragile things are right now. And I thought that Salah, you know, give him credit too for taking the high road with Makai Becton. Because, you know, Becton did that interview with Newsday over the weekend. And good job by Bob Glauber. You know, and, and in so many words, basically said, yeah, last year, you know, I, I blew out my right knee because they had me play right tackle. I didn't want to play right tackle. I told them I didn't want to play right tackle. I told them that it was going to put more pressure and more strain on my knee. Because think about it, if you're the right tackle, your outside leg and your outside knee is the one that's going to absorb more of the pressure. And that's what he ended up blowing out, and he had the second surgery. He's right. However, and I'm sure that this was also conveyed to him behind closed doors, that maybe if he was in a little bit better shape, he would have been able to absorb some of that pressure more on the knee. You know, when when you're playing around, you know, 375 or, or, you know, plus, that's not ideal. And unfortunately, it took two lost seasons for Makai Becton to maybe finally get the message. And now he's committed himself, and now he's got himself in unbelievable shape, and he looks fit to go out there and have a big season. And if you're the Jets, you hope that's the case. Because there's an extra lot of sense of motivation for Makai Becton, too, and the the fact that he doesn't have his 50-year option picked up, right? He's going out there this year and having a play for his supper. He wants a contract for year number five. He wants to get paid like a guy who was a former first-round pick and to cash in, well, got to have a big year. You got to play. You know, one game in two years is not going to cut it. It's just not. And he knows that. The team knows that. And the ones who are going to benefit are the Jets. When all is said and done, if he goes out there and is able to play the high level of football that the Jets think he can play, and once upon a time, that's why they used a pretty high first-round pick on him. 800-919-3776, that's the telephone number. David in New York City, up next, here on 98.7 ESPN. David, how are you? Well, one
1: thing they went to Atlanta, and they had a whole
0: thing, to they, uh, back up running. Dave, you there? Uh, that's what we start. I can't hear what Dave's saying. Let's hang up on Dave. I don't know if he was talking to us. I don't know if he was talking to somebody else. I don't know. Whatever. But that ain't going to work. Uh, Mitch in East Windsor is up next here on 98.7. Mitch, how are you? How's it going, Dan? Good, Mitch. What's up? Thanks for taking
1: my call, um, you were talking about his father and his sons. Uh, you know, the Griffins go uh Barry Bonds, uh, I mean, had a, did a little better than his father, Bobby. Now he also had so. a brother that had a cup of coffee hmm um, You know, I read, uh, not only is Bronny going to USC, hope he takes him on all but he's got a six-year-old son, Bryce, 6'6", fifteen years old. Yeah, he um, looks
0: like a good prospect, they say.
1: I wonder why any of his kids having, uh, you know, try a little football, they also have football buys, especially uh, Bryce, 6'6". Imagine playing tight end. rusher. Edge, yeah. edge, edge, edge. So I think maybe LeBron, is his retirement talk is so silly, maybe he plays in at least four or five years. And I think if he wants to stay in L.A., I think he have a better chance of winning if he moves to the Clippers, because um, you saw with Denver. Denver's got a big team. I think Denver's a, I'm always Denver and Heat, but uh, you saw Denver's got a big uh, front line there.
0: I think De- I, I think it's Denver's to lose, Mitch. And, and I thank you for the phone call. I, I but I you know I think that's being a little bit too much optimistic, saying LeBron's got another four or five years. I don't see that. I hope he's not going to stick around for four or five years, and he's sitting there at the end of the bench like Udonis Haslam basically just co- collected a paycheck. The guy's like 50 years old. I mean, if you watch LeBron, guys, father time is undefeated. If you watch LeBron in the second half of that game the other night, with his team's season in the balance, he, he, he disappeared because he ran out of gas. Nothing more, nothing less. He was out there, but he wasn't demanding the basketball like he was in the first half. And when he got the basketball in his hands, he was passing it off to yo-yos with the season on the line to take shots. He, he emptied the tank in the first half. And that's okay when you're 40 years old and have played as many minutes and as many games as he has. But well, there ain't no way he's going to last at, at even half this level for another four or five years. But do I think that he's done done? No. Do I believe in the retirement talk? No. We'll get into the psychology of that and what it really means moving forward. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. we got to get into the NFL and these rule changes, which continue to infuriate me and drive me nuts, and I'm sure you as well. But also one quick note about the Jets when we come back, too. And apparently they're giving a second chance or attempting to maybe give a second chance to somebody who was ushered out of the NFL not too long ago. Dan Gross, show till 10 right here on 9870 SPN. Introducing
1: Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, To
0: your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Dan Grossa Show on 98.7 ESPN. Dan Grossa Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, come out to see DPH and Rothenberg live on Thursday, June the 1st, starting at 6 a.m. That's next Thursday, as a matter of fact. That'll be from Publicans in Manhasset for a special pregame broadcast and music from Randy Zoo. It's just steps away from Manhasset Station on the LIRR, where after the show, the crew is going to take the train to City Field and tailgate in Lot F before the matinee game. It's the pregame party with Rick and Dave, brought to you by New York Structural Steel Painting Contractors Association, the Window and Glass Dealers Association of New York, and... Tell them more do Irish whiskey. So check that out, of course, if you haven't made plans already coming up next Thursday. Um, You know, before we get into the rule changes with the NFL, I don't know if you guys saw either that Jets are bringing in Matt Ariza for a tryout. And, you know, he's a guy, the name might ring a bell to some of you. Remember, he was a kid who was drafted out of San Diego State last year in the 2022 draft by the Buffalo Bills. And then story got out after the draft, you know, right, I guess, training camp had started, and that he was involved in a situation involving a female and a party, and, you know, there were charges being levied against him that certainly are frowned down upon due to the severity of them. And, you know, Buffalo saw this as an opportunity, you know, after gathering the facts. I remember there was one of those – press conferences that was, you know, it was an uncomfortable press conference to watch after, it was after the first preseason game, you know, and Sean McDermott, the coach, you know, went up there and it was, he was fielding all questions about Ariza, who didn't punt in that preseason game, because I remember like the, the story came out and he like, they didn't dress him for the game or he didn't play in the game, and then he had to answer all the questions after the game about the kid, and, you know, Buffalo didn't take any action yet. And people just expected them to, well, you got to release this guy. Got how, how is he still on the team? Why is he on the team still? With, the, with these accusations that are out there and these allegations, why is he still a member of the team? Well, you know how society works nowadays, right? So a couple of days passed, and then Buffalo indeed moves on from him, even though the whole time the kid is, you know, professing his innocence, representatives, the whole thing. And then, you know, the whole season goes by, you really – don't hear anything on the situation or on the matter at all. It was kind of almost like forgotten about, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Well, not long ago, Matt Ariza was cleared of any wrongdoing in the situation. As a matter of fact, showed that he wasn't even there, wasn't even at the scene when it, when 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 these accusations took place, and this incident took place. So now you have somebody who potentially his career was ruined on false accusations, and we've seen this type of stuff happen before. I mean, you know, the Duke lacrosse one is certainly the most notorious and stands out probably apart from the rest. So you knew that eventually somebody's going to give this kid a second chance because, you know, his nickname was the punt god. He was really one of the most, you know, highly touted punting prospects in a long time out of San Diego State. Bills used a draft choice on him last year. And now you have the Jets who brought him in for a tryout. Now, the logic behind it is, number one, he's talented, okay? Number two, Jets signed Thomas Morstead to be the punter this year. But Thomas Morstead is a veteran. He's not going to be around, you know, for 10 more years. He's only on a one-year deal. So there's no guarantees he's going to be a part of this club even next season. Arises a guy who technically could do all three things. He could punt, he can kick off, and he could even place kick if you need him to. So he's a valuable weapon for you to have. And, and if you're the Jets, you know, I don't know how much interest, let's say, is coming from around the NFL. I'm sure that probably more will surface as the season wears on. And then teams feel the need to maybe upgrade the punting position or if an injury happens or something like that. That's why if you're the Jets, I don't think that it's worth a bad gamble just to sign him even to, let's say, the practice squad. Why not? If you could keep him around and keep him on the roster and and keep him on the practice squad, do it. And then he could be somebody that's ready to punt for you in the not-too-distant future, if not this year. If you, if you sign him and you find out that he beats out Thomas Morse, then he's better, then he's your punter. You know, you take the gamble. You might have found an upgrade kind of fall into your lap like this. So I thought that was pretty noteworthy. You know, it didn't get a lot of talk today, but that that could be an area because, look, Jets have had their issues when it comes to punting the last couple of years. I mean, think about last year. How many did they have get returned for touchdowns, where there weren't even a heck of a lot of punt returns for touchdowns? The one against the New England Patriots was the first in the NFL the whole season, and it cost them the game right? Kicking the ball right down the middle of the field, things like that. And that's why they moved on from Braden Mann. This was a guy who was a draft choice, part of that 2020 class. Three years, they said, you know, seen enough. And that's why they bring in Morstead, who was here when Mann got hurt a couple of years ago and actually did a pretty good job. Probably kicked the ball better than Morehead, or better than Mann did, but they kept Mann around because he was a draft choice. And you don't want to give up on those guys so soon. So we'll see how this thing plays out here for Arisa. It, it will be interesting to see. Uh, when we come back, though, speaking of kicking, the fair catch rule that now has gone into effect here for the NFL for the upcoming season, it's just another tipping point to how things are really changing in one particular regard here for the game of football as we know it. And really doesn't seem to be any sort of remorse from the powers that be, does it? Gross the Show Till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Well, Mets give it and they take it away. Had a 2-0 lead thanks to Francisco Alvarez. Two-run shot in the third and then the bottom half of the inning, the Cubbies come all the way back. Back Back-to-back doubles by Swanson and Suzuki. And then the immortal Mike Tauchman with a go-ahead single to give the Cubbies a 3-2 lead over the Mets. So Kodai Senga's... Issues on the road continue, and you know what? His issues with issuing free passes also continue. I mean, when you're walking, you know, it seems like four or five guys a game, and he's already given three uh, walks already tonight. Like, what do you expect? The walks will kill you more than the hits half the time, and that's what's been his biggest issue all season long. Um, so the Mets are having to come from behind now down 3-2 in the fourth inning. Yankees about to get underway, waiting out the raindrops. At the stadium against the Baltimore Orioles, 840 is supposed to be the first pitch. And how about the Florida Panthers? Out to a quick 2-0 lead here midway through the first period at home over the Carolina Hurricanes. They're going for the four-game sweep and punching their tickets at the Stanley Cup Finals where they will likely take on the Vegas Golden Knights starting well whenever they haven't they haven't announced a start date yet for the stanley cup finals i guess maybe they're a little bit more flexible unlike the nba like the nba that's the other thank god the celtics won last night because if the if the heat would have swept last night we would have had nine days of no basketball before this final start next thursday june 1st nine days so at least we may only have a week to kill without having basketball, if the Heat could find a way to win tomorrow night in Boston. We shall see. But, yeah, you would hope that if, you know, both conference finals are sweeps in the NHL, they'll start the series a little bit earlier as originally planned. I guess building availability probably has something to do with it as well there. But, nevertheless, Florida, who was the last team in in the Eastern Conference, took out the record-setting Boston Bruins and just haven't let up From here on out. And they're going to make quick work of the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, We're talking football. And the league meetings that are going on. They cast a vote. The owners did. About changing the kickoff rule. And the fair catch rule specifically. And it went into effect. They got enough votes. They got the 24 votes. Which is, you know, two-thirds majority. And... What essentially this means, if you want to read between the lines, is that I would probably say in the next five years, just conservatively, there's probably not going to be a kickoff anymore in the NFL. Now, that was always one of the most exciting plays in the game. Like Think about when you sat down and your team, whoever you root for, when they received the opening kickoff and if somebody brought it all the way back to the house started the game with an opening kickoff return for a touchdown. You're talking about an enormous leg up. Now, I'm not saying that you still couldn't lose the game. Of course you could. But just just think of the momentum that gives you. Or if you begin the second half getting the opening kickoff, you know, and you take it back to the house. But, you know, times have changed. You know, and moving the kickoff up like they have, even just a couple of yards, you know, as opposed to the way it used to be when they used to kick off from the 20. Now all these kickers who you know have, have have super strong legs to begin with, they're just booting the damn ball right through the back of the end zone for a touchback. So there aren't even as many returns as there used to be. Now, what coaches you know some of them subscribe to the school of you know make it as difficult as possible. They coach their kickers to not just boom it through the end zone, but to kick the ball sometime between or someplace between the goal line and the ten yard line to where you force them to return, and hopefully you make the tackle before they move out to the 20. And so, like, your kickoff return team actually goes out there and wins a play. That's one way of looking at it. But the NFL, despite the data and the statistics telling you a completely different story, you know, the NFL has long been of the belief that the kickoffs are too dangerous. And you don't want guys running down the field at full speed Getting a head start and then absorbing all the contact like they do when the opposing team comes up to try to block. Remember, they essentially eliminated the wedge and wrote that out of the rule books as of a few years ago because, again, they want to minimize the contact as much as possible. That's what they would have you believe. So now they're taking it a step further. What the new rule is going to say, starting with this upcoming season, is that any kick whatsoever. That is fair caught between the goal line and the 25-yard line. The ball is automatically going to be placed at the 25-yard line for the offense to come out and and start their new series of downs. So if you catch the ball at the 5-yard line or if you catch the ball at the 24-yard line, you're still going to get it at the the 25. So then it would really kind of mitigate any type of return possibilities from the get-go. Because most teams might just be satisfied with, okay, you know what? Let's just take it. Let's cut our losses, and let's take it at the 25-yard line. And they're not even going to set up for a return. Which really, I think, sort of dives deeper into the whole roster construction type of thing moving forward. Like, a lot of these teams, they'll go out there in the past, and they will get themselves a legitimate weapon. And a guy who is a game breaker and a burner and has all that speed and is going to be able to maybe impact the game with a kick return. Not anymore. Now, why would you designate a valuable roster spot for a guy whose talents may not even be put to use? Like, think about how big of a weapon, right? Think about how big of a weapon a Devin Hester was. And look, there were several, several like him. But Devin Hester in particular, who was probably the best to ever do it, you know, a guy who might even be going to the Hall of Fame because of it. But you had several great ones over the years. Um, You know, I know that the game didn't turn out the way they wanted it to. But think back to that Super Bowl in uh, 2000 with the Giants and the Baltimore Ravens where the Giants got their rear ends kicked. But think about, you know, the touchdown. The only touchdown they scored that day, the Giants, was on a kickoff return by Ron Dixon. Right? Those are potentially momentum-shifting plays in a game. And the league wants to completely wipe that completely wipe it clean and they're going to fall back on safety and depending on who you talk to whether it's players coaches you name it the safety issue doesn't even factor in as much it doesn't those are not the most violent plays. like think about they've also changed the way that onside kicks are able to be executed. Like they make it even more difficult now for a team to be able to successfully convert an onside kick. That's why if you think back to that game that the Jets played against the Cleveland Browns this year in week number two when they made that miracle comeback late in the game in the fourth quarter, what made it even more impossible, not just everything the Jets did, but that the Jets were able to even convert that onside kick. Because I think, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, there couldn't have been more than... Two or three onside kicks that were successfully recovered by the kicking team all season. And the Jets just happened to be one of them. Which made that comeback even more dramatic than it was. But not everybody's a fan of it. And I think if you're a fan of football, despite the fact that you maybe have seen this coming over the last several years, it doesn't mean that you have to like it. It doesn't mean you have to go along with it. And how about Andy Reid? Andy Reid's a guy who's a Hall of Fame coach. He's going to be going into the Hall of Fame couple of Super Bowl rings, whole nine yards. Here is what Andy Reid had to say about the fair catch rule and how things are now changing in that sense. My, my thing is, where does it stop, right? So you start taking pieces, you know, we'll see how this goes, but you don't want to take too many pieces away or you'll be playing flag football. Pretty soon we're going to be playing flag football. And is that the first time you've heard that? No, you've heard that often. A lot of you have said the same exact thing. Whenever you see penalties where, you know, somebody goes near the quarterback and the tip of their fingernail grazes the quarterback's helmet. 15-yard penalty, right? And all of these other rules that have been put into place to protect the quarterback more than anything else or just to protect players and, you know, contact, hitting a defenseless receiver when he wasn't even all that defenseless or he barely was hit, you know, defenseless player. Blind side blocks, all those things. It's really trying to eradicate the physicality from the game of football. And where does it stop? You know, when does it stop becoming the game that we all grew up watching? How much longer is that going to take? And will the interest still be there? You know, let's just say things keep going in this regard for the next... I don't know, 10, 15 years. I don't know how much more you could take away, but let's just say that happens. Fast forward into the future. In 10, 15 years, if the game keeps getting, you know, filled, or I should say if more contact is being removed from football on a pretty regular basis here, you think it's going to be as good of a game? You think it's going to be as popular a game? You think all these outrageous prices and outrageous dollar figures and outrageous Boodles of revenue that are brought in by this sport, you think they're still going to be there? If the appetite for the product isn't? Remember, a few years back, there were several folks that warned the the NFL of maybe oversaturating the market a little bit and maybe taking out too big of a bite and taking their fan base for granted. What happens if this continues? Game is really popular, but with all these changes, with All these things that are being different. Now, if you want to do... See, I don't want them to get away with the kickoff altogether. I like it, because like I said, I think it adds value into the game. You see what the XFL does? Why can't the NFL maybe do something like that? I mean, it's a little bit different. It's going to have to take a little bit of an adjustment, but at least it still gives you the opportunity for a kickoff. The way the XFL kickoff was... Ball's placed at the 30, kick the ball off. Both teams are lined up on the receiving end of the field, five yards apart from one another. Like the receiving team maybe is lined up at the 25-yard line. The kicking team is lined up at the 30-yard line. And nobody is allowed to move until the kick returner receives the football. So, therefore, you eliminate all of these abrupt – you know, contact type of plays. You're not allowing anybody to get a head start to come running down the field and have to absorb the brunt of all that impact, and yet you could still have the returner, more importantly, go out there and actually try to gain some yardage and do something that could maybe tip the scales of a football game. What is the problem with that? I just don't like the way this thing is going. And apparently, what's troubling about it is if you read the reports... This is not what the majority of the owners wanted. And that Goodell had to go out there and almost lobby folks to make the vote go a certain way. Because deep down, I still think you have enough owners in this league, despite the fact that they're all greedy and they all want money. They still do kind of appreciate the product and care about the product. And they kind of know that at the end of the day, that's what sells. And if you maybe try to tinker too much with a good thing, it's going to start to show some cracks. There are some I still think that hold out a little bit of trepidation as far as that is concerned. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. We'll get into some hoops. Start the 9 o'clock hour. We're with you till 10. Dan Grosser Show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. I know, I think I'm holding up pretty good. You know, I know it's not, I know it's not 100%, but I, I'm fighting, I'm battling. You know, I I could see where there's some holes in my game a little bit, but I think uh, I'm giving the team what they need. I'm giving them the minutes. I'm giving them, you know, giving them what they need. A commitment. That's what I'm here for. Yanks are finally underway at the stadium. No score in the first inning against the Baltimore Orioles. Waiting out that long rain delay. Mets trailing the Cubbies 3-2 as they go top five. At Wrigley Field, see if they could get back in this one. So, the kickoff rule is just one thing, and we kind of hit on it a little bit earlier. Now, you're going to have flex scheduling in the National Football League on Thursday nights, which once upon a time earlier in the year at the previous league meetings, that was um, a subject that was tabled, and they were going to vote on it a little bit later on in the season. Well, Now it's later on in the season and they voted on it and they got the necessary votes, which, again, I don't know how you feel about it. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I mean, you've got Monday night flexing now. We've got Sunday night flexing. We've got Sunday afternoon flexing. And now we've got Thursday night flexing. Like, when is enough enough? Like, when is a schedule actually going to be a schedule that you can adhere to? Right? Like, I mean, sometimes, guess what? You can't predict the future. And sometimes, you know what, maybe the best games that you end up having to watch or you think you're watching don't even involve two teams that are necessarily all that attractive or even maybe contenders, but they can still go out there and give you an entertaining game and, and something to watch for. Because the other component is this, all right? The NFL, a lot of the interest in the National Football League, obviously, is motivated by some sort of affinity to gambling we know that okay people will bet on any game anytime just to give them incentive to show interest in it so if you have the two worst teams for example who are playing on whatever day of the week it is but yet you know you could still win some money on the game there's your interest in the game. You don't need a flex. You don't need to you know, have two teams who are fighting for a playoff spot for you to show interest in the game. There are other ways to self-motivate yourself to want to watch a football game. So week 13 to week 17, which begins Thursday, November 30th, is week 13. Here are the games right now that are originally scheduled to be Thursday night. Seattle and Dallas in week 13. You really think they're going to move the Dallas Cowboys up Thursday night? Okay. Week 14, New England at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, a huge national fan base. Good luck with that one. Week 15, Chargers, Raiders. All right, division rivalry. See how that one goes, but you got Justin Herbert, who's everybody's flavor of the month. The Raiders, who people think are going to be better. Week 16, Thursday night football, Saints at the Rams. Now, that's one that could get a little tricky because the Rams are probably going to be one of the worst teams in football. So maybe you don't want to stick them on a primetime slot like that, especially close to the holidays. Saints could be pretty good now with Carr at quarterback. And then Week 17, which is the final Thursday night game of the season, it is Aaron Rodgers and the Jets at the Cleveland Browns. I'll ask you this. If Cleveland is, I don't know, 3-12. and At that point in the season. And the Jets are decent. They're going to move Aaron Rodgers off a Thursday night? When all these networks and all these broadcast partners of the NFL were basically tripping over themselves before the schedule came out, fighting, duking it out to see how many Jets games with Aaron Rodgers that they could get on their network? So how many of those games realistically are going to get flexed? But the point being, and I said this earlier, like, when is enough enough? Like, how much more are they going to continue to just kick the fans when you're talking about the NFL? Buy our tickets. Buy our jerseys. Buy our merchandise. Buy our subscriptions to all of our different broadcast partners. Because now if you want to watch the NFL, remember, you need uh, CBS, Fox, ESPN, ESPN+. Plus. Because there's going to be a game this year now that is exclusive to ESPN+. Plus. If you want to watch that, you have to have ESPN+. Plus. Um, you have to buy Peacock. You have to have that. You have to have Amazon Prime Video. have to have that as well. So that's six. Am I missing any others, guys? Is that the only one? Are there any on NFL Network? Mm-hmm. None at all. Nothing on NFL Network. Not even any of those Sunday morning or Saturday um, games, like late in the season. A Saturday really? game might, like a London vehicle, might be on NFL Network, so you might have Maybe. to have that. Oh, I said, no, I got one, NFL Net. It is Christmas Eve at night, the primetime game, Sunday, December 24th, New England at Denver, NFL Net. So if you add all that up, I think we got them all. That's seven different outlets you are going to have to have if you want to watch every NFL game. If you are an old school died dyed-in-the-wool, tried-and-true football fan, seven different outlets to watch the National Football League, to watch all your games. And this is somebody who is just a fan, grew up watching it, doesn't care about gambling, doesn't care about fantasy, doesn't care about any any, of those things. Just wants to watch the games. Seven. Here's what Goodell had to say, by the way, the commissioner, about the flex scheduling, which is now going to be implemented for Thursday Night Football.
1: Flex has been part of our scheduling for quite a while. We expanded it to Thursday night. It will be used judiciously, if at all. It's a very limited time period, and it's also something that is what we would consider a higher bar. Uh, We expanded it to 28 days
0: in the context of our fans and making sure that they have appropriate notice uh, if that does happen.
1: Um, But we have
0: uh, data on the safety of the game. There's been no difference. In fact, it's
1: slightly lower on Thursday nights. We don't see that. We haven't seen that in the data since we've been playing since
0: 2006, I believe it is. Uh, So we don't think it's inconsistent at all with player safety. Here's the thing. Okay. They could say that. And by the way, for player safety, for player safety, you know how many guys I talked to last year? And you know which team I'm talking about, obviously, who had to play a Thursday night game. And by the way, they had to play a Thursday night game late in the season, which was one of the last ones. Remember, it was the week of Christmas. When your body, you've already played 15 weeks or whatever it is of the season, and your body is pretty much being held together with, with, you know, popsicle sticks and scotch tape at that point. And and sometimes if you're lucky, it takes you the full week to the following Sunday to be able to feel good enough to then go out there and play another game again. And that's when they ask you to play a game in just three, four days after you just got done with the last one. You're not doing that team any favors. And once again, lo and behold, Jets are playing that last Thursday night game of the season at the end of the season when you feel terrible to begin with. So they could cry bloody murder about player safety and all these other things. All I know, I talked to plenty of guys who said getting ready for that game was damn near impossible for some of them. Impossible. They felt like garbage. They don't care about the players. Jeff Bezos, okay, you see the yacht that he's on out there in Cannes and the engagement ring he just bought for his fiancée. He got the money. And when he's giving it to the NFL, that's what they care about. They care about Jeff Bezos. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They don't care about the players. They don't care about the fans. They don't care about even you people streaming these games at home. They care about the money. And that should be as evident and as plain as day for anybody that's been a fan of this league, certainly in the last, let's say, decade. 800-919-3776 800-919-3776 is our telephone number. One more hour to play. with. we come back, we'll talk some hoops. Mellow riding off into the sunset. We look back at number seven's career. Grasa Show, another 60, right here on 98.7 ESPN.